All right, we are actually uh, wrapping up our series on the drama of redemption today, and then we will start a new series on the book of Philippians next week. Uh, we'll go through Philippians, and then I think after that we've got a, a summer series we're going to do, and then we'll get through Colossians. And uh, so we'll have the writings of Paul done, you know, the epistles to the churches at least, uh, by the end of the year. So um, got a couple other things planned, but... Uh, Really excited. Uh, this morning we are talking about how do you finish talking about the drama of redemption? Where does the story end? This is really driving me insane. Um, when we talk about the drama of redemption, the, the idea that God is drawing out of the world a special people for himself and he's been working throughout history. We, we, we looked at the very beginning of how God. Uh, before the foundations of the earth were laid, he already had the plan in place that Jesus would be crucified to redeem his people. And so as we walk through that journey of, of, of various uh, stories that we looked at from, from the creation to the fall to the flood to um, Abraham and the promise of, of God to Abraham being asked to, to, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice as kind of a foreshadowing picture to to the presentation of Jesus at the temple and the, the promise being uh, brought to life in God stepping into earth as, as a man, to, to the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and finally, last week, we looked at the fullness of time in that God, uh, in, in His great plan, brought about the redemption of His people through Jesus coming, living, dying for our sins, being raised from the dead. And, and what a hope and what a glory we have as a result. And so as we kind of bring it to an end, I thought of, of uh, the best place to really draw this story to a conclusion is probably the end of the book, right? Revelation. And uh, I think of a good story. A good story has to have a good ending. I've seen many stories, whether it's through movies or books I've read, that I thought that was a terrible ending. Uh, there was one movie I, I watched, and the ending was so awful. It like ended uh, with, with misery and sorrow, and it must have been a Russian film, um, because that's typically how they end. And I'm like, that is an awful ending. I want resolution and, and a happy ending. I want the cowboy riding off in the sunset, rolling the credits. And I thought about this story of Revelation, and, and as we're going to look this morning in Revelation 21, uh, I thought of, of the ending, and here we have the, the happy ending, but what amazed me as I began to think about this this week was um, the credits don't roll and the curtain doesn't come down. This is actually the beginning of eternity. So the end of the story of redemption, which has been the history of humanity and mankind since the creation of the world up until this, the moment that we are even living in now, however, you know, that, that length of time is so small when we consider that the end, because we look at Revelation, we think that's the end. No, that's the beginning. That's a little mind-blowing when we stop and consider it, that it's the beginning of eternity. It's the end of the story of redemption and the beginning of the story of God's glory. Uh, not the story beginning of God's glory, but the beginning of our part in that story of glory. Let's pray as we look into this this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word reigns true. 
that it was true in the days that it was written, and it's true today, and not one jot or tittle, not one thing can ever be taken away. We thank you that it is inspired and we find hope and inspiration and encouragement and challenge and conviction in it. And Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would teach us and that we would uh, listen to what you have to say. Lord, speak through me and bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's the second to last chapter of the entire Bible, so go all the way to the back and flip back maybe a page. And we're going to read, we're not going to cover the whole chapter. Um, part of that is because I don't want to read all the stones because I can't pronounce them. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through, that's not really the reason. Uh, we're going to read 1 through 7, and then I'm going to skip to the end, verses 22 through 27. So if you would stand with me as we read through this. Revelation chapter 21, and by the way, it is Revelation singular. There's, I know sometimes we say revelations. It's, it's one revelation. There was only one. Uh, starting at verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, the, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this, inher this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, I've been in ministry as a pastor for about 15 years now, and inevitably, um, I get one question asked me more than probably any question, and it has nothing to do with theology, it has nothing to do with doctrine, um, it usually has to do with what is heaven like. And my answer is almost always the same, and nobody likes it, I don't know I haven't been there yet. Here is a reality that I am convinced of, no matter what books you might read. No eye has seen, 
No mind has conceived what God has in store and what He is preparing for those who are called to Him. And we come to this passage after looking, if you take some time, and I encourage you to do that this week, is, is to go through at least the last few chapters of Revelation. I mean, it's good to read all of it. In fact, at the very beginning, it's the first book of the Bible that has a promise in it that he who meditates on these words of this revelation will have a blessing. So it's a very good book to study and to look through. And, and, and if you are honest with yourself, you're going to read through some of it and you'll be like, that makes no sense. And that's okay. It's a mystery. You're not going to understand everything fully. But if we come to the end of this story, the end of Revelation, you know, and just kind of put it in perspective of this drama of redemption. Chapter 20 talks about um, uh, the, the kind of the concluding time that, that there will be a thousand years reign with Christ, and, and at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be let out, and, and, um, and at that time, the great judgment seat will be brought out and brought forth, and men who, and women who do not have their faith in Jesus Christ will be brought before God in judgment. And, and the chapter ends with this, this uh, horrific sounding uh, scene where those who, whose names are not written in the book of life, and by the way, what a great opportunity uh, to get your name written in the book of life is this. Repent and believe. And if you have done that, your name is written and it cannot be erased. And it says that those whose names are not written in it will be cast into the lake of fire with Satan himself. And that is the preface to what happens. And, and as we come into chapter 21, you have this, this good stuff now, right? The exciting stuff. And you see the, the, the story as John is, is witnessing. What an opportunity for John, the apostle, to be able to, to, to see the, the vision and he sees, it says, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. And, and as he witnesses this, it's, it's all about the new, replacing the old, after the ultimate judgment. And we come to this story in chapter 21. And here is what I would hope to encourage you with this morning. Today, as we look at the close of this drama of redemption, is what, what the close brings to the children of God. I want us to, because as a child growing up, I never wanted to see the end times. You know why? Because I had things to do. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to get married. I had plans in my life. And I always thought of the, the, the end of Revelation. I was like, man, that, that sounds nice and all, but I'm not really super excited for that to happen today. But as I looked at this even this week, you know, and as time has come, you know, and as the older I get, the more I hurt and the more things that, that go wrong in life, I'm like, man, I can't wait for that to come. And it's no wonder, you know, John at the end, he says, even so, Lord, come quickly. You know, there's like probably an exclamation there. But I want us, when we, when we leave today, I want you to understand as children of God what this means to you. And why you should be utterly excited and eager and screaming as John does, even so, Lord, come today, if you would. Because this, this picture here, there's, there's so much, and we're only going to really focus on three verses this morning, but we want to look at it in, in three aspects of what this consideration implies for us. Number one, it means a full relationship. 
a full relationship. Notice what uh, John hears when he's first encountering this vision. It says that he saw a new earth and new heaven come down, the old had passed, and the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And listen to what he says in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold. Anytime you read the word behold, that means pay attention. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Full relationship. What does that mean? It means that you will get to be in the very presence of God. In the physical presence that he can, you can see Him, you can touch Him, you can be embraced by Him. The Old Testament saints all longed for this. In Job chapter 19, verses 25-27, through 27, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And listen to the excitement of Job. I always laugh when I read this. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Job is so excited to see his Redeemer in the flesh. No more hoping to see him. No more faith to see him. But in the flesh, he will be there. The psalmist talks about this at the close of his life. David most likely says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Brothers and sisters, as believers who are going through a world of darkness and, and sin in a world that is flaming on fire, there is something about seeing God face to face that should stir our hearts. And if nothing else, when I read Revelation 21 and I read this account where it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, etc., etc. To experience his love in person is an incredible thing that we have waited for all of our lives. It's no wonder that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter about love, he says at the very end of it, he says, now three things remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know why that is? Because one day our faith will come true. Our hope will no longer be needed because we will be with Him, but love will always remain because we will dwell in eternity with a God who loves us. And I can tell you, the depths of his relationship based on this text. I mean, consider this. Number one, his choice. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Do you realize what that means? It means he makes his dwelling place with man, which means he chooses to dwell with men. He chooses to dwell with men. That for the rest of eternity, God's choice where he wants to be is with his people. For eternity. Can you imagine a full relationship with somebody who chooses to be with you? The, the saying is true, home is where your heart is, where you make it. Whenever I go on vacation, eventually I long to go home. You know why? Because that's my home. God 
has said and declared in His Word that His dwelling place where He wants to be for all eternity is in the presence of His people. That's a deep level of intimacy. But not only is it His choice, notice the claim in it. He says He will dwell with them and they will be His people. He claims His people. He makes His dwelling place with men and He claims His people. They are His. Can can you just for a moment, I know I say this many, many times and I'm going to say it over and over again. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32.9, God's portion is His people. The only thing God wants out of all of creation, because by the way, we just read in the very beginning of this chapter that the old, the earth, and all of creation will pass away. God could care less about this planet so yeah there is an okay uh, agenda to make sure we don't uh, that we are good stewards of this earth but god doesn't care about it what god cares about is his people his people always come before the 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 the, the world and the creation and and everything god's care and his concern is his people so much so that in zephaniah uh, it says that god sings over his people that he is he is singing songs and rejoicing over his people in malachi 3:17 it says that they shall be mine says the lord when he takes up his treasured possession his claim what he wants is His people, they will be His people, and He will be their God. Do you understand this, that He really, really, really wants you? God loves you so much that He wants you. I think of, 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 of the, the people that I love most are the people I want to be with the most, right? I love my wife. I always want to be with my wife. I hate when she's gone or I'm gone. I love to be with my wife. God loves you. You are his treasured possession. And so we see the full level of this relationship in this, this, this verse where he starts to say, you know, first of all, my choice is to be with you. My claim is you. And last but not least, my care. Notice how he cares for his people. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Notice what it says here. He, he will wipe away every tear. Brothers and sisters, he's not saying an angels with Kleenex to you. He, the God and Father, the creator of the universe, the one who breathes stars into existence, the one who has done all things and done them all well, the one who has raised people from the dead, the one who himself has been raised from the dead, he will wipe away every tear. Tell me he doesn't love you. Notice the protection. No more death. No more pain or sorrow. When I think of my kids, the thing I want is to protect them from getting hurt. I want to protect them from playing on the road because they could get hurt. I want to protect them from scraping their knee when they trip and fall. God says no more death, pain, or sorrow. He's going to provide no hunger, no suffering. And He wants you to be happy with pleasure. No more curse or sin. No more condemnation. Old things are gone, hard labor, disappointments. He wants this relationship with you. 
full relationship, if we stopped right there, this is the greatest close of any story ever, that we get to spend eternity in full relationship, not hindered at all with time or space or distance, for all of eternity with somebody who says, I want to be with you, you are mine, and I will care for every longing need you might have. Greatest close ever. Here we have on full display the heart of God for His people. Remember, the story is all about God calling out of the world a special people for Himself. That He's looking into the world and He's sending out His truth and He is redeeming His people in such a way that, that Peter, in, in writing about suffering to, to the church, he says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are His treasured possession. He's wanting to be with His people. He's wanting to care for them. As I thought about this this week, it, it brought me to a point of actual conviction, too. As I started thinking about this, and I thought about this idea, do I always want to be with Him? And even this morning as I pondered this and I spent some time thinking about it, there was conviction because I thought, you know, um, most of my time is spent on vanity and selfishness. And I have somebody who wants to have full relationship with me all the time and wants to do all these things for me. And, and, and I started kind of walking through that tightrope of trying to figure out, you know, maybe it's justification, maybe it's a, a lack of understanding, but I began to ask myself, does God really need to be a part of every aspect of my life? I mean, because He's not always involved in every aspect of my life because I shut Him out, maybe. But does He really need to be a part of every aspect? You know, when I'm working on a truck... Does he need to be, you know, do, I, do my thoughts need to be always, always on him? Do I, when I spend time with my family, you know, whatever? And I think the better question is, why is he not? He wants to be with me so much. And as Paul would write to the Colossians, he says that when you are raised to life, then he who is your life will be there. If He is my life, and I see this idea of God wanting to be with me all the time, it brings my heart to a place where I say, okay, what am I spending my time on? What are, what are the things that I value in life? Are they not to understand this full, deep relationship that I can start to have even today? And I find myself obsessed with things all the time. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous because sometimes I see it in my kids. When I get it, something in my head, I go after it full go, and then I start to realize that I've become obsessed with it. And I leave God behind. Full relationship. What an exciting thing. But it doesn't stop there. So God is going to, to, to have this full relationship with us, but, but there's more to uh, this end of the story. And the second thing I'd say is that there is full renewal. Full renewal. Listen to what John hears. Verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these 
words are trustworthy and are true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Full renewal. Everybody likes a fresh start, right? You know, you, you go through life and eventually you screw up. Um, there are certain jobs where your screw-ups are pretty obvious. Usually anything up front. And what a wonderful thing to say, man, we can have a fresh start. I remember when my, my brother-in-law was moving to Colorado, my father-in-law pulled him aside and he said, um, hey, guess what? You're moving to Colorado. Nobody knows you there. This is a fresh start. Brothers and sisters, when we get to this moment of glory, full renewal, full renewal. God says, I am making all things new. What does that mean? It means it's fresh. No past to consider. You know why? Because it just doesn't matter. When we get to glory, whatever you have done is done. All things new. Underline, highlight, whatever you need to. All. Behold, I make all things new. New life. Pain and suffering, all gone. All gone. New relationships. Your broken ones that you have right now are all gone. All gone. No broken relationships and glory. New plans, the failed ones that you set out to try and achieve but didn't quite live up to them are all gone. New plans. New purposes, the purposes that you, you tried to, 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 to live out and the dashed dreams, they're all gone. Disappointments are all gone. New records, your past blemishes, the things that you are failing at today, all gone. Behold, I make all things new. I'm excited about having a full relationship with God. I'm also excited about having full renewal where I can walk into a place and it's a fresh place where there's no record of past. Notice what he said. He says uh, in verse 6, it is done. Exclamation point. The story of redemption ends with this. It is done. Your sin and sorrow and suffering and, and all the pain of this life, it is done. There should be a lot of hallelujah to that. It is done. That means rest. Trials and tribulation are over. These are the exact same words of conquest that Jesus proclaimed when he was on the cross. Finishing his last breath, he said, it is finished. He was wiping out years and years of the constant reminder of sin and death. And when Jesus returns again, and the new heaven and the new earth comes, he will declare one more time with an exclamation point, it is done. It's finished. But this renewal isn't just about fresh and new and, and finished. It's also about filling. Notice what he says. He says, and I will give to him who asks from the water of life. You know, I used to wonder what was heaven going to be like? What are we going to do? Are we just going to sit around in a, an eternity long church service? It's about filling. 
It's about being refreshed every single moment of your life that you will have the freshness of God breathed in you and you will, you will no longer thirst because he says that he will give without payment satisfaction. Just like the psalmist who said that when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I will find full satisfaction from the beginning to the end. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will forever, for all eternity, provide you with full satisfaction in life. There are so many times in life because we have a society that says, you need this. This is what you're missing in life. This is what it is. And so there is a dissatisfaction that is bred and is, is promoted over and over again. Watch commercials for two seconds and you'll find exactly what you need. Everything you need. Need an instant diet? I got a pill. Instant abs. You, you, you're hungry? Come here. Everything you need that you don't have, guess what? When we get to glory, you will have full renewal and that you will no longer need because you will be satisfied all the time with Jesus Christ. What a great and glorious thing to look forward to. We can experience, by the way, a portion of this now. You know that? It's called the fellowship of the saints. Over and over again, the, the, the uh, theological historians, they've all said the same thing, that the church is a small glimpse of heaven on earth. And we should delight and desire to be with one another. And that small microcosm will be what eternity is in a grander scale. So we will have full relationship with God, uninhibited, uh, no longer needing faith or hope, but we will see and be with Him. We will have full renewal that all of life will be fresh and new, that God has made all things new, that our past is done away with. We will no longer have to worry or think through those things because we are freely given the satisfaction of being with Jesus Christ. There's one more thing. This story gives us. Verse 22 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We will have full religion. Brothers and sisters, what we do here, what we do in life, is incomplete. And oftentimes it's tainted with sin. And, and frankly, I am tired of religion because oftentimes it's, it's selfish motivated. Oftentimes it's about me trying to show myself as something. And, and the reality is when we get there, there won't be a temple because the object of our worship will be in our presence. What does that mean? That means, number one, there's no need for practices. No need for practices. We don't have to offer sacrifices. We don't have to do sacraments. We don't have to, to do the various things. The, 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 there's no need for a temple. No constant reminder of our sin and inabilities to fulfill the law. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews plainly tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that the, the temple and all the sacraments and all these things are, are simply this. They're a constant and annual reminder of our sin. 
So much so that, the, the, that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says that, that, that no sacrifice of blood of bulls and goats shall ever take away sin. They are just a constant reminder of sin. Our religious practices oftentimes are nothing more than just constant reminders of our longing and desire to be with God, which will be fulfilled because the temple will no longer be needed because he is here. No need for practices. No need for hope. Can you imagine that? We don't even need to hope anymore. There's no need for faith. We don't have to long for things that aren't here. We don't have to hope for things that are coming because it has happened. No need for practices. No need for performance. What should a pastor look like, right? How should he behave? How should he do this? What, what should a Christian do? I, I, was, I found it interesting. I was at a, a restaurant last night with my family, and, and there was a guy sitting at a table a couple down, and I thought it was, it was neat. He had a shirt on. It was just a black shirt, and all it said is, I am a Christian. That's pretty, pretty blunt. We don't have to even declare that anymore. In the presence of God, here's what it says. There is no levels either of sainthood. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon or to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Brothers and sisters, there are no levels. Kings and queens will all be equal in the presence of God. You don't have to worry about being a, a more holy saint. You are holy. No need for performance. And there's no need for purification. You know why? You'll be purified in the presence of God. You will be clean. Imagine a life without sin and mistakes. Imagine a life with no regrets because you don't think back, oh man, that was really prideful. Or was it prideful? You don't have to even think about that. I long for a day when I can stop screwing up. You know, one of my struggles is fear. Fear of, of not leading my church family well, not leading my home well, not leading my children well. All these fears creep into my life, and I, and I start to contemplate, am I really doing this right? Am I, am, and, and even in the midst of trying to do what's right, I think of, you know, this is how morbid it gets. You know, I think, well, am I just doing, am I just trying to do what's right to, to please myself? Am I, am, or is this really about God? Don't have to worry about that anymore. Because we will be in his presence and he will see us and he will see us and say, I love you, you are pure and holy. You know why we can say that? Because over and over again, two times, you notice what it said? It says that this whole list of people who are, un, uh, 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 are immoral, who are filled with sin, who are detestable, for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. And you, can, you sit here and you say, oh, I'm not in any of those. Then he throws the last one in, right? All liars. Oops. And what does it say? It says they will not be allowed. 
They won't be allowed into to this place. And then later on, it goes on, it says uh, in, in verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter in it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So brothers and sisters, here's what this means. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be in His presence, pure and holy, without blemish or sin. I long for that day. I long for a day when I have full relationship with my Heavenly Father who can embrace me. I long for a day when there is full renewal, when I can not have to reflect on my past and all the things that I have done. And I long for a day when I can have full religion, when I can worship Him in His presence and I can take all the crowns of glory that that have been uh, bestowed on me and I can lay them at His feet and say, you are the one who is worthy of all these things because you are the one who accomplished anything. Don't you want to be a part of that? For eternity? Isn't that our hopes and dreams? That that as we look through the story of redemption and, and what a glorious story that God has written from beginning to end, a true story. Not just a fancy, fictionalized one, one that, that the disciples would all say that we haven't invented this, this isn't clever, this is true. That, that from the beginning, God... Uh, created this beautiful creation and he told Adam and Eve enjoy and I want to walk with you and fellowship with you and then sin enters into the world through disobedience through rebellion and and relationship was severed and 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 you have from that very moment in Genesis we have the promise that one day God would redeem his people the very first promise made. And then you have glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of God's promise to redeem His people, to, to, to look into a world filled with sin and suffering and, and shame. And He says, my people are there and I want them and I will claim them. And the only way I can have them is if I make the covenant. And if I am the one who fulfills the law because they never will. And that's what we get from Romans chapter 3 when it gives us this... Uh, eloquent description of humanity if you really want to know the description of humanity look at romans 3 like verse 7 through about 18 it talks about how we're all liars and there's venom in our tongues and and there's no one who does good not one and and all kinds of beautiful description and imagery of what humanity is like and then paul ends that section he says and by the way the law which is pure and holy will never make you perfect in the sight of God. And then you have the glorious redemption through Jesus Christ. And, and you get to this place at the very close of the whole story, and you see that, that face-to-face we can be with Him. And it begs me the question, is this my longing and my hope? Is this what I'm pursuing with my life? Is this what I, what I am aiming for? And, and brothers and sisters, this is our goal. And I would ask anyone who is sitting here today with uncertainty in their hearts, if they're sitting here saying, I don't know if I'm a part of that. Is my name really written in the Lamb's book of life? Or will I be a part of the end of chapter 20 where it says that I will be cast into the lake of fire? Well, today you can know. The beauty of it is that while you have breath, And by the way, we are all a drum's beat to death row because our heart is beating, but eventually it will stop. 
And in that moment, before our heart ends, we have time to say today is the day of salvation, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect and holy life, that he died on a cross, that if I would put my hope and faith in that and realize that that alone is what writes my name in the Lamb's book of life. Today, that could be you. And I would plead with anyone here today, if that isn't the case, make it happen before you walk out. Because one day your heart will stop. And one day we will face that judgment. And I praise God that because of Jesus Christ, my name is written in the book of life. And for us... As we look for this, this is my challenge. As I've been reading through this and I've been thinking about it, look ahead and stop looking behind. God does. We're so focused on what we have failed at yesterday that we have neglected what we're supposed to do today. And guess what? Tomorrow you're going to have failures from today because you were looking back. We have people around us that need Jesus And we have a Jesus who wants to be in our life and be a part of us. And and if we would just consider that this is what our life is truly and and, and is destined for, that we would focus our hope and dreams as all the, the saints did in the past because as they saw the future coming, they longed for it and they waited with arms wide open. And they didn't reflect on what they did in the past. God doesn't do it. In fact, He calls the, 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 those who come to Him. If you look in the New Testament, I'd encourage you to do this someday. God never calls people, because we do this all the time, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner It's a pseudo-humility is what it is. Look through the New Testament, and you'll find that any time a person who is redeemed is called, they are always called one thing. They're called saints. If we are redeemed, we're not sinners saved by grace. We are saints because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we look ahead to the glory that is coming. And I would encourage you today that that should be our hope and motivation and that we can bring others into the kingdom with us. When I'm discouraged, this is what I look to. Because this is such a glorious thing. The end of redemption is this, that I will be with Him for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that one day we will have a full relationship with You. That we will be with You and that You, You will wipe away tears. You will comfort. You will provide. You will be there that you desire for us to be your people. Father, I thank you that we will have full renewal, that our lives will be completely redeemed. They are redeemed right now. And while we still live in this body of sin and death, we know that one day we will receive a glorious body, a heavenly, holy, and perfect one. And Father, we long for that day. Father, for a day where we can have full religion because we worship you in your very presence without images, without anything but you who will be our light and glory for all of eternity. And Father, we long for that day and I pray that we would set our hope on that. That it would impact our lives. Father, how 
would our lives be affected if we lived in such a way that we remembered eternity in every moment and every decision? How we could cast aside the things that are folly and foolishness. How we could look to the things that have eternal weight and value. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune to that. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name.